Last week we talked about why God created the church and what God has asked his church to do. We compared it to a father having asked his child to clean their room and that the expectation is that that father or that that child, I think that is the expectation of our culture. My dad asked me to clean my room and I expect him to clean it. When a dad asks a child to clean the room or a mom asks a child to clean the room or take out the trash or whatever it is, the expectation is that they do that thing. Not become more knowledgeable about cleaning rooms or sing songs about cleaning rooms or go to studies or conferences on cleaning rooms. A parent who asks a child, clean your room, expects the room to be clean. And as a church, Christ has asked us to do some things. He's commanded us to keep his commandments. As a matter of fact, in John 14, 15, we talked about it last week. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I thought about this. Sometimes I, I don't know if you can tell this in the way that I use humor or whatever, but I, I can be cynical and sarcastic. Um, I have, some people have said I have a dry sense of humor. I'm assuming that some of you familiar faces appreciate that. You continue to come back. And <laughs> sometimes what I'll do is when I, when I teach on something, I will sit with that message again and I will be, uh, I will, I will, I will be critical of it. And I got to thinking about this whole idea, because like, technically the message hinged on the idea of a parent asking a child to do something. And I thought to myself this week, just in terms of that illustration, like, who cares? Like, let me ask you if, you, if you are 18 or older, raise your hand. When is the last time your parents told you to do anything and you did it? Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm 46. If my dad called me today and said, son, I need you to clean your room, rest assured, if it happened right now in this message, I would not say, I was going to preach. I need somebody else to come cover this. Dad just called. I have to go home and clean my room. If my dad called me this morning and asked me, son, go clean your room, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a mental health check on him in my head, right? I'm going to ask you some questions, dad, and you should just answer me, okay? I would wonder, is he okay? My dad doesn't tell me to clean my room. He doesn't tell me to do anything anymore, right? But here's the thing. It's not because there's like a lack of respect between us or anything. It, 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 it's because he, in his mind, he's an adult. I'm not his parent anymore. So I guess it's possible to look at that argument and say, I don't know that that's perfectly relevant because at some point an adult becomes an ad a mature version of, of themselves, hopefully, and doesn't need their parents to tell them what to do anymore. I mean, you don't tell your adult kids what to do anymore, do you? <laughs> Cindy said, yes. <laughs> You're an exception, Cindy. And they're thankful for it. Most of us don't tell our adult kids what to do anymore. At least the dads don't. Anybody's mama still trying to tell you, well, you need to make sure. That's like the line. You know, mama's about to parent your 50-year-old self. She hits you with the whole, well, you need to make, did you make sure? 
we were going somewhere yesterday. This is funny. It's not in the message either. Ethan came downstairs or upstairs, whatever. Who cares? We were going to get, Ethan was going with us and he showed up. And the first thing I say to him, it's cold outside. Do you not want to get a jacket? <laughs> I just sat there with a smirk on my face. I love these interactions. I don't need my mama to tell me. You know, it's that whole, it's awesome. For the most part, we don't tell our adult kids what to do anymore. Some of you don't tell your kid kids what to do anymore anyway, and it shows. But <laughs> we gonna, if you're going to clap like that, you need to give Gene time to turn the lights down <laughs> so people don't know who that was. So why are things different when it comes to our Heavenly Father and what he's asked us to do? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to James. We're going to be in James until we finish it. James is an incredible book. It's one of the first books in the Bible that I ever read. At the time that I was growing in my love for God's Word, I wasn't connected so much with a denomination. And so I can't remember because it's been so long ago now, but I stumbled upon the epistle written by James. And it might have been something to do simply with, I've always had a, 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 an admiration for him because he was the brother of Jesus. I've always thought, you know, what was that like? Could you, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? <laughs> James. Talking about never living up to the sibling. I don't know if that's it, how I ended up there, but that's where I ended up. And you also know about me that I, I, am, I am rebellious in nature, more so than most people. I still to this day, if someone tells me you're not supposed to or you can't or you shouldn't, I start evaluating, is this thing sin or not? Because if it's not, I'm doing it just because they said you shouldn't, right? Thankfully, I'm getting older. My body's starting to fail me a little bit, and so I'm getting a little more wise when it comes to jumping off, jumping up onto, or anything that requires my physical activity. But I'm rebellious in nature, and so it's difficult for me to just do the right thing. So it's been very important that I understand God's word as clearly as possible. I don't want to have my own ideas about what Jesus expects. I want to know exactly what God wants me to understand about what Jesus expects. Amen? And so I've constantly been in pursuit of understanding the Bible as clearly as possible. And something jumped off the page. I was led back to James for a number of reasons. Some of the most powerful scriptures that we're familiar with come from this epistle. But when I began to study the book of James, my intent was, as you can imagine, if you've been reading ahead, is we're going to start off with what you probably expected. Consider it all joy when you endure trials. I couldn't get past the first statement. And it's interesting that Elder Mike, <laughs> I laugh because we don't really have titles like that, but I thought, I just wanted to see your face. You didn't like that? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Mike, no, Mike. Mike's doing a class on biblical interpretation. 
And one of the first, if you say hermeneutics, if you say biblical interp, if you use any of that language, like the first thing that always pops in my head is one of the first rules you'll ever learn when interpreting any language or translating any language is this. Usage determines meaning. Unfortunately, when it comes to translating scripture, unless it might offend someone. So many translations exist today because the language contained in the way God wrote it is offensive potentially to hearers. For me, I've been the exact opposite. Like, I know what is inside of me. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus came when I needed a little help. I was having an off day, and so God said, no, sir, and sent Jesus. No, the Bible says I was dead. That's who I am. The audacity that I would think I should weigh in, God, you should say it this way. No, I want what's fixed inside of here that keeps me from seeing exactly what he means. And this verse right here, I went to the Greek and was blown away. Blown away. I'm going to be nice this morning, Macy. If you have a New Living Translation, will you raise your hand? Stephen, will, will you read to me just that first line? What does it say? 1-1. One, one one? One, one. Mm. Read it again. New American Standard. Go ahead, Mike. NIV. Uh, ESV. It's servant. Um, did I do NIV? I did ESV, did NASB, NLT, uh, BLT. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> this is the Greek. James, a slave, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1, quickly, someone. Anyone. Better be a man. <laughs> Women doing everything in this church. I'm over it. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't even be here. That's, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. So... Where are you at, Romans? Romans yes. yes, sir. Paul, a servant of Christ. Paul, dualos, Paul, a slave. We need to understand this. This changes everything about the interpretation. All of the other words that we feel like are going to protect people's hearts, they might do that. 
but they're not giving them an accurate picture of who they are in relation to Jesus Christ. You're not a servant. You're not just a servant. We have this car rental agreement idea. We have this... I was looking into statistics on marriage, and you know them, right? You've heard it before, 50% of marriages end in divorce in first world countries. Because we don't respect covenant. We think that our signature on the contract is equal to God's. And guess what? You didn't sign it. There's only one signature on that contract that says paid in full, and it is the Lord God's almighty. We're not, we're not, we didn't enter into the agreement together where God, hey, look, I'm willing to give this a shot if it works out like we do marriage. God, I will give my life to this human being as long as it's not required of me to give my life to this human being. That's what we mean. And that's what we mean. To the, and it, make, it makes perfect sense. That's what we're taught. That's what we see. So it makes perfect sense why we would enter into these contractual agreements with God and think that we're just as much of an investor as he is. And that's not the case at all. I need you to understand something, too. James isn't saying to God... I am oppressed by the Lord. No, what James is trying to get you to understand, you don't understand the joy of being bought, purchased, and owned by the Lord God Almighty. Who, who, who we are, we, we don't care what the world says about who we are. We don't care. We're not going to let politics or, 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 or social climate determine anything for us. Jesus, who do you say that I am? If I can't see that clearly, God, strip away the binders. He is your heavenly father. Don't misunderstand me. We're not removing any title. We're making sure we understand all of them. He's definitely our Heavenly Father. 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God. And I love this. John says, and we are. You feel that? You ever feel that at the end of some weeks? I am, the, I am a child of the king, and I am. You know what I mean? Just this, that, that, that holy confidence that it is a done deal, not because I made a decision, because I signed along with the... No, because God said so. But he's also our master. He's our Lord. He's purchased us. We, we, we belong to him, church. Listen to... What God says to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? God purchased the property and furnished it. And that you are not your own. 
for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I'm going to read real quickly. There's a quote from John MacArthur. I was literally just doing a word study on the different ways this word is translated and why, the, why we moved away from it. And I stumbled upon this, and as I began to read it, I'm like, I can't say that better. I'm just going to read what he said, so here it is. Being a slave of Christ may be the best way to define a Christian. We live in a culture where I'm not sure. Thankfully, it ain't about what I'm sure of. We are, as believers, slaves of Christ. You would never suspect that, though, from the language of Christianity. In contemporary Christianity, the language is anything but slave language. It's about freedom, liberation, health, wealth, prosperity, finding your own fulfillment, fulfilling your own dream, finding your own purpose. We, we hear often that God loves you unconditionally and wants you to be all you want to be. He wants to fulfill every ambition, every desire, every hope, every dream that you've ever had. Interestingly enough, if you read the New Testament, though, in its original text, especially if you've grown up in the United States and you've come to think or if you even can resonate with hearing. I, I literally heard a sermon this week on this very thing. You might be stunned at how different the original text is from any English version that you've ever read. All of them virtually have found a way to mask something that is an absolutely critical element of truth. In fact, the word slave appears in the New Testament 130 times in the original text. You will find it only once in the King James. Once the Greek word slave is translated slave. You will find it translated slave a few other times in other texts like the New King James and even the New American Standard Text. And it will be translated slave when one, it refers to actual slavery, or two, it refers to some kind of bondage to an inanimate reality. Because culture has determined usage or meaning, not usage. That's why culture determined the way the translators translated this word. Like, why are we like that? God, you're going to have to change what this says so that I can accept it. You're going to have to use words I'm okay with or yet I'm, or I'm out. Or better yet, oh God, there's a philosopher who I greatly respect, and his or her name is Google. <laughs> Whenever it is personalized, the translators seem unwilling to translate it slave. But the foundation, the proclamation upon which Christ built his church, that is, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, says, I, Paul, I, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus literally built the church on the idea 
that you are purchased and owned. You are the slaves of God. And the men and women who came into relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ gladly adorned that title. It was considered honorable to write, I, James. Owned by God. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No man can be a slave to two masters. But what does your Bible say? No man can serve two masters. You see why it's so critical. We got to be careful. Sometimes... Some, I know this is crazy in our culture, but sometimes choice is not a good thing. Because oftentimes what we're choosing between is God's standard or ours. So Paul writes, all things are permissible, but not all things benefit. Have you ever been free to do what you wanted to do? As Dr. Field would say, how's that working for you? <laughs> I don't do well when I'm free to choose as I see fit. I benefit from being a slave to Christ Jesus. You dictate, you determine, you lead me. Here's what God wants us to understand. The moment that we become his, our lives are changed regarding our eternity forever and in regard to your present. Unless you look at scripture through your own lens. I did that so much. There was a period of my life, I couldn't tell you anything the Bible says, but I had a full doctrine. I had a full theology. You know what I'm saying? I would argue with people. Well, the Bible said, I don't even know why I said that. I didn't know what the Bible said. I'd heard some sermons. I've been to Sunday school, and I created a doctrine. And man, I would pick and choose and throw things away, and I like that. That works with my agenda. I believe that, so I'm going to say yes. I don't believe that, so I'm going to say no. And I had this lens, and I stood here, and I looked at the cross, and I kept moving until it looked right. Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, 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 you stand at the cross, and you keep looking until it looks right. Not at the cross, at everything else. You know what I see when I do that? A heart that needs to change? This one. God, don't say it so I can accept it. God, prepare my heart to receive you however you mean it. I want to know, God. I want to bring you glory. Stop looking at Scripture, Justin, from this perspective of the way you see the world. Have you, how many of you have ever visited a foreign country? Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand if you haven't. Have you ever been to Florida? Alabama, yeah. Mississippi, yeah. 
South Carolina or North Carolina? Tennessee? They don't even know how to say their name. It's Arkansas. So you get it. People do things differently in other places, don't they? For those of you who visited a foreign country, I'll tell you this story. I was going to say quickly, but that's a lie. Stacey and I were flying into Crete, Greece for the first time. So you fly Delta. I don't know what you do now. This is a long time ago. You flew Delta into Athens, Greece. You unloaded on the tarmac or the flight line or the, what do they call it, runway. And they, bring, they roll stairs up. And you walk out of the plane and down the stairs and then across the tarmac to wherever, whatever that's called. I, I didn't, I've never done that before. I'm like, where's the thing that comes out like the, and then I, you know, like the Bible says. <laughs> so that was interesting. But never once did I stop when I walked out onto that thing. Go, no, 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 no. This ain't how we do things. I need you to go get one of those, and I need you to get me like you're supposed to. Nobody did that. We just walked down, did our thing. Stood in line. I walked right up. I'm an American, so I walked right up to the counter where there was no one standing because we only had like 30, 20, 30 minutes till our flight, and I thought, I'll be first in line. You ever tried to organize a line in a foreign country, specifically the European area? I, they, that's not in there. They don't do that. As soon as the lady came through the thing and was like, or whatever she says in Greek, what does everybody do? I think we were 20th. Not one time did I get a chair and go, we were in line first. I didn't. We just were, that's just the way they do things. We knew from that point on, from now on, I'm not standing in that line. As soon as I hear akis, which is almost at the end of every Greek word, I'm just going to run towards whatever it is I'm there for. <laughs> and if I get there first, it doesn't matter if John Smith from Albuquerque has been standing there for an hour. He hasn't learned the system. But when it comes to scripture, we're completely different. We're literally standing on our chair at all times going, no, I was in line first. God, say it right. Word it correctly. This is not how we do things. I don't accept this doctrine. How about this? When you see something in scripture that you don't understand, learn to. We live in a culture that they just keeps making excuses for people who don't want to learn to. And we think we're going to get on the same page. Not the way you want to understand it, but the way God meant it. Do you, I said this to myself out loud. You ever had one of those things where you had, you had a way of thinking about something that was just kind of skewed, and so you said it out loud, and they go, well, now that I've said it out loud, I see how... Or, or had someone else say it to you, and when you heard them say it, you were like, oh, well, I, that sounds absurd now that I hear it coming from somewhere else. Like, do you honestly think our Heavenly Father intended to be to us a cruel, racist slave owner, as we understand the terms? Yeah. Thank you, Stace. <laughs> How about this? Did, did you know that the Bible is older than the United States? This is who our God is. 
John 3.16 says, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I wouldn't give you a piece of fried chicken. <laughs> especially, especially if we're at odds, right? God gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. But God, Romans 5, 8, demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. I, I said it this morning. The Holy Spirit brought it to my attention. I'll withhold apologies sometimes out of fear of it not being received. I'll withhold reconciliation sometimes because I'm, I'm afraid of rejection. Jesus hung on the cross already having been rejected. While you were still dead and you, when you, your response to him was not only do I reject you, I don't even think about needing you. And Jesus went to the cross. Romans 8, 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul's about to, Paul's, in, in, his life's coming to an end. And he says, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I, Paul, a slave of Christ. I think God means it differently than our world wants us to hear it. And I desperately desire to hear it the way he intends it. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Just keep reading. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast but you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God says it's my works created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us.
this is our God. And he is good. Blameless, holy, righteous, holy, merciful, holy, compassionate, holy. Father, this morning, we surrender to you maybe in ways we never have. We lay it all at your feet. You are good, righteous, blameless God. There's none like you. There never will be. We praise you in the morning. We praise you in the afternoon. Praise you in the evening. We praise you in sickness and in death. We praise you because you are faithful. And we stand now and proclaim your glory. Christ Jesus' holy name, amen.